to Little Detours with Regina Brett, where we help you create a life you love out of the life you have. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Regina Brett. Remember how important your bedroom was as a child? Not just your room, but your bed. The place where you read books with a flashlight under the covers, where you snuggled with your best buddy until you drifted off to sleep. To a child, a bed is a refuge from the world, a place for sweet dreams and a peaceful night's sleep. Tom Gagan has made it his mission to provide beds for kids and furniture for the rest of their home. As executive director of the Cleveland Furniture Bank, Tom helps turn a house into a home. The Cleveland Furniture Bank restores hope to Northeast Ohio residents who need basic home furnishings, like a mattress, box springs, couches and chairs, tables and dressers. Tom joins us today to talk about how to give others hope. Tom, thanks for being with me. Well, thank you for having me, Regina. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, Tom, I wonder, I love your Beds for Kids program, and I wonder, what was your bed like as a kid? What was your bedroom like? Do you remember? Yeah, I had a very small room uh, in, in the house. Like My parents uh, probably would, would be classified as lower middle class, and I had a small bedroom with a little twin bed in it against the wall. So I didn't, when I was younger, it wouldn't fall out <laughs> on one side at least. And uh, that's my bed. I, I remember having just the bed and one little dresser. Didn't even have a closet to hang my clothes in at that time, but I still had a bed. You know, there's something about your bed as a little kid. We grew up in a family of 11 kids. So I shared a bedroom with Mary for 18 years. Poor Mary was stuck with me. But when you crawled into bed at night, it was just like you're crawling into your <laughs> safety zone. There's something about that bed and, and your, your own private place. So, Tom, you grew up in Warren, Pennsylvania, a small town, 60 miles east of Erie. So how did you end up in Cleveland, Ohio? What was that little path, the little zigzags you took? Well, when I graduated from high school, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was one of those uh, people who hadn't really focused in on a career at that point, And uh, I wasn't ready. I didn't think to go to a big-time college. So I ended up getting referred to, to Fenn College at that point, which became Cleveland State. And it was interesting when I came here because at that time, Fenn only had 1,500 full-time students, and 15 of them were from my hometown. So <laughs> apparently one of the guidance counselors had some connection there. But uh, I ended up coming to, to Fenn and ended up graduating from Cleveland State in 67 and then uh, went on to West Virginia University for a master's. And ended up coming back to Cleveland because it had kind of become my home as an adult at that point. So I have to ask, are you a Steelers fan or a Browns fan? I mean, I know your roots are Pennsylvania, but you've been here a long time. Yeah, I've been here. I'm a Browns fan. Uh, right. My uh, my son-in-law <laughs> is from Pittsburgh, and he's a Steelers fan. So we have some differences of opinion. But <laughs> I will say when I was growing up, I was probably a Steelers fan, but uh, more a Brown, I'm definitely a Browns fan now. It's, it's a lot easier to be the Steelers fan. <laughs> they, they win a lot more games. <laughs> so, Tom, you ended up working for CEI. You spent 15 years in management. You were in operations for another 15 or so. And then 31 years into the company, you get downsized. Right. Yeah. At the time, we went through, a, if you were to call CEI, went through a merger with Toledo Edison back in uh, you know, the late 80s and then uh, in the late 90s uh, merged with Ohio Edison to create First Energy. And I was uh, in a, I would say, upper level management position. And the uh, majority of us were uh, downsized out at that point. And uh, the Ohio Edison management team pretty much took over the upper ranks. Well, back then, 
it used to be you had a job for life. You know, you grew up with the idea that you find a place you love and you start there, you spend 40 years or so, and then you retire from one place. But that's completely changed in this world. Yeah, that was really true of the utility industry when I joined it in the late 60s. Uh, you know, it was we joked about it a little bit, but it was womb to tomb uh, <laughs> if you're a utility employee. And, and you know, I kind of expected that was it. I mean, I was very fortunate to have a good career there to get uh, into some very important and, and upper level positions. But, you know, again, life comes along and, you know, make a plan and God will laugh at you. <laughs> there you go. So, Tom, what was it like when you've got downsized? What's that initial impact like for you when you find out it's over? It was a shock. I mean, it really was a shock to me because I did not expect it to happen. I had been a critical part of the, the team that put together the merger company and had been made some promises by certain management employees who were in, involved at that time. And uh, that all blew up. And it was just a shock to me. And the man I was working for walked in and said, you know, here's, here's your letter of resignation. You have an hour to clean out your office. And I remember going home with a box, walking in the door. My wife said, what are you doing home? And I said, I don't have a job anymore. And, you know, we kind of hugged and said, okay, well, let's move on with our life here. And, and I really never to this day understand why it happened, you know, the way it happened. But life happens, and I just uh, had to move on and, and figure out what I was going to do beyond that point. That's so powerful, Tom, to think of 31 years you give a company and then the day you leave, there's a box of the small, whatever you had there, but, but yet your dreams were so big and your, the work you gave them was so big. Yes, exactly. I mean, it, it, yeah, it kind of amazed me to think my whole career was in one little storage box <laughs> other than, other than the memories that I had and, and the friends that I had made there who most of them were shocked too when they found out that uh, I had been one of the other people downsized. So. so then you come home, your wife has a successful business and you put money aside, hopefully, but then the stock market crashes and you lose half of your IRA. This is like right. Job, you know, like you, one thing's not bad if you get like another big hit. So what was that like for you to feel like you had it set in place and then even that's gone? That was, again, another real shock to me because uh, at the time I had a daughter who was just graduating from high school and going on to college. And I had a son who was in middle school at the time and obviously thinking that he was going to be going to college. And when that happened, I thought, wow, how is this going to happen? My wife and I had just built a home about 10 years earlier. And, you know, we were living the life that based on the income, as most people do, uh, that I was making. And now that was gone and the monies that I had through my IRA and whatever were mostly gone too. And I thought to myself, I don't know how this is going to continue. Just have to really put our faith in, in God and that this is going to work out some way. And I, I look back on that time now, which is roughly 20 years later, and say, you know, I made it. <laughs> my kids got through college. They got good families now, good jobs. And my wife and I are still in the same house and, and still able to to do the things, even though, you know, I've been working again, obviously, since uh, particularly since I got involved with the furniture bank. But, you know, the salary level is significantly less than what I was making when I was with uh, the utility. But as I've said to a lot of people, 
the money's not there, but the satisfaction is significantly greater in terms of what I see us being able to do as an organization that contributes and helps the people that need help in this that are much worse condition than I ever was. Well, Tom, I think it's so important because in your job as executive director of the Cleveland Furniture Bank, you give people hope, but you've also lost hope and you've had difficult times. And I wonder how that kind of has shaped you to do what you do, your own personal journey. Well, obviously, it it, it makes me uh, feel good that uh, I've been able to help through the organization, not me personally, because I don't do this myself. But through our organization, been able to help so many people who, as I say, certainly were in worse state than I ever was. And uh, so that to me is looks back and I look at myself and say, you know, you really have lived a blessed life. You've been very fortunate, even though you've had these ups and downs and, and, and gotten in a situation where you weren't sure what was going to happen next. But these people that were helping are way below that in terms of what their needs are and what their future looks like to them. So well, I want to talk to how you got to this place. So you lost your job, you lost your IRA, you joined a retailer as assistant store manager, you ended up development director for St. Vincent de Paul Society of the Cleveland Diocese. And then a year into that, you helped create the Cleveland Furniture Bank as a separate nonprofit. Then two years later, St. Vincent de Paul kind of closed down temporarily. But the Cleveland Furniture Bank took off and it has really grown. Yes, it, it did. And St. Vincent de Paul had a small furniture program, but it was mainly focused on only the churches within the Catholic diocese. And they had been approached by a, a group of homeless service providers to create a furniture bank to serve other people. And so we've had a lot of discussions with, with those groups, but they had some limitations on what we could do as an organization, which didn't fit the mold of St. Vincent de Paul. So we broke off discussions with them, but realized at that point that we needed to do something greater than what was happening already. And so I was tasked with uh, looking around the country at other furniture banks and other organizations that did the kind of things that we're doing today. Created a business model, which is not necessarily unlike Salvation Army or Goodwill in the sense that we do have a thrift store that helps provide a significant portion of the funding that we need to do the program, but we created it. Uh, we st- started out, we, we were told, well, there's probably uh, eight or 900 people a year that need help in greater Cleveland. And so then we opened our doors to organizations throughout Cuyahoga County initially. And in the first month we had three referrals. We thought, gee, maybe this isn't as big as we thought it was. Within six months, we had over 200 agencies signed up and, the first year, I believe we served almost 1,600 families that year. And that translates into about 4,000, 4,500 people who were touched by our service of providing furniture to them. And, you know, when you think about what you provide, you know, we say furniture, but think about a dining room table or a kitchen table to be able to sit down with your family, to have a place for your children to do their homework. You know, a lot of people have not been into homes, especially in the inner city where Furniture, it's a luxury for a lot of people. Exactly. A bed is one thing, but even just a place to sit down. I mean, our dining room table in our house, that's where you did everything. So to give somebody a table or even an end table, you come home from a job that you work hard at to be able to put down your drink or put your feet up on a coffee table. You know, I mean, it really does make what 
is a home a home, those furnishings. Exactly. And, and I always remember one of the first agencies we, that signed up and one of the caseworkers was talking to us who said that if someone comes out of homelessness, and that's many of the people that we're dealing with, probably almost all of them have been homeless at one point. If they move out of a homelessness situation into an apartment or a duplex or whatever and don't have furniture, they will be back in a homeless situation within three to four weeks. Because you come home to an empty room, what what difference is it? You might as well be sleeping under the bridge. I think that's what a lot of these folks think. And so, yes, it is. It's That's why one of our taglines is making a house into a home. Because a, a building is just a building. But when you put furniture in it that a family can sit around, eat together, sleep in, in their own beds, uh, that makes it something that's more comfortable and certainly you know, more feeling of, of family uh, environment. All right. Well, Tom, we are already at the halfway mark. I want to pause and thank our guests for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett and to our guest, Tom Gagan, the executive director of the Cleveland Furniture Bank. I know you have many podcast choices and I'm so grateful you chose to listen to mine. Now, Tom, you're talking about the people you serve. We're also talking veterans. We're talking people that come out of a domestic violence uh, shelter, probably children who age out of foster care and turn into adults who are trying to figure it out. Even people who've lost everything from a fire or a flood. It's not just people that have always had difficulties, but it can happen to anybody overnight to have a, a downturn in a job or a house fire. Exactly. But the constant is the need and also I'm guessing the gratitude when people do receive. What's it like to be on that end of giving to people? It's really gratifying. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, we've had to change our processes because of the pandemic. And we had one client come in to pick up the furniture from our place, even though most of them don't do that now. And she had her friends there helping load the U-Haul that they had to take the furniture home. And I happened to walk by and she looked up at me and she said, this is the best program I have ever seen. She said, I can't believe you're giving me all this furniture. And, you know, I said, well, thank you very much. I said, you know, that's what we're here to do. And we're glad that we can make that happen for you. And, you know, that's just one story. You know, you've mentioned uh, the kinds of folks we serve and it is a wide range of people and they probably in most cases fallen on hard times, not for their entire life, but at some point. I always remember the one you mentioned, and I guess I must have led, led a sheltered life because I didn't understand the whole thing about the foster care system, that when someone eight reaches age 18, if they've not been adopted, they're on their own. And one of the first clients we ever served was one of these people. He had been in various foster homes. At this point, he was 18 years old, a young African-American kid. And he had a bike and two suitcases to his name. And uh, the agency that we worked with that was working with him referred him to us. And we gave him a couch, a chair, a bed, a dresser, and some other items. As they had found him a place to live. And he had nothing else. So we gave him all this stuff. And, and I thought to myself, this kid probably has the biggest chip on his shoulder. You know, here he is, 18 years old, bounced around from home to home. And now he's on his own. But he was the nicest, most uh, polite, 
individual I think I've ever met in my life. He was working two part-time jobs and going to school at at Tri-C part-time. And he had the best attitude about his life. He didn't hold grudges or anything. He just was ready to move on. And I wish I could find him again (laughs) just to see what's happened in his life in in the last 14 years. Because I just think this guy probably is somewhere doing very well for himself right now. Oh, I sure hope so, Tom. Tom, let's talk about your Beds for Kids program. It is one of my favorite charities to give to. I just love that you found a company that can make a bed and a frame for a child at a, at a really decent price. And you can pretty much buy a child a bed for Christmas. Tell us how did you set this program up. Well, back in uh, 2012, a number of the agencies we work with are working with families who are reconnecting. And, and obviously, under state law, a family cannot get a child back if they don't have a bed for them. And these agencies were saying, we need beds for the kids. And we had always been able to provide a bed for the, the parent or parents, but not for the children. And so we did find a local manufacturer who could provide us with a bed and a mattress. And we wanted to do new for them. The other furniture that we provide is is used. It's donated to us. But we wanted to make sure for the children that they had a new bed to sleep in. And so with the help of some corporations and a couple of foundations, we got some seed money together to, to start the program with the idea that, again, we probably thought about 700 beds a year the first year we gave away over 1,400 bets. And, you know, I said, boy, yeah. And I told my board of directors, I said, I don't want to start a program because we're paying for these. That you know, six months from now, we run out of money and we can't continue it. So that was a big concern of mine. And uh, I, I must say with all kind of gratitude, Regina, what you did for us back then was amazing. I remember you had written a, a story in, in The Plain Dealer about, uh, I think it was Ashland University that was giving away beds. Worcester College. Worcester. Yeah, it was the College of their, yeah. their dorms. And they had given away like 40 beds in four years. We'd been doing it for five months and given away over 600 beds already. And I contacted you and, and you did a wonderful article about our program that December I hate to say it, but it was almost a perfect storm because your article ran the Sunday following Sandy Hook. And within within four weeks, uh, we had $180,000 donated to us because of your article. And, and it's just continued. Most of those people still give to us every year. Tom, you, you gave me my Christmas moment here. We're recording <laughs> this in December. And I think of your charity every single year because of that that group of college kids, the College of Worcester, they donated beds. And then students and staff members delivered them with teddy bears and copies of the book Twas the Night Before Christmas. I'm going to cry. But that idea that a child wants a bed, you know, you sent me every year I get your, your uh, little message in the mail. And this one came with a story that said a counselor from an urban school called to tell us about a fourth grader, Davia, whose mother had escaped an abusive relationship and moved in with her parents. When the student's teacher asked the children what they wanted for Christmas, Davia said, all I want is a bed. I think about that, to ask for a bed for Christmas. It's such, it's such a basic need that every child should already have, you know? Right. So powerful. Yeah, right. When they contacted us, we, we didn't hesitate. We said, this is what we're here for. We would not have known about this particular young child had that counselor not called us. 
but we were able to provide her the bed that she needed. We, four days before Christmas, we showed up and gave her a bed and a mattress and box spring. And she and her mother were both in tears at that point. And, you know, I was there because I wanted to make sure and meet her and, and meet, meet the mother. In fact, I had talked to the mother on the phone and she was in tears when I was telling her what we were going to do to make sure it was okay for us to do that. Because again, we can't just give them away if the family uh, has some re- reservations about our program. That was our most re- one of the most recent ones, but we're giving them away every every year. We're over eighty five hundred vets now in eight years, and uh, it's just amazing to me. I'll be honest, Regina, not just the beds for kids program, but the the whole furniture for families program that we do. That in Northeast Ohio in twenty twenty, well, twenty twenty is a strange year, but <laughs> at this time that there are as many people every year fall into this situation of living in a home without furniture or children without a bed. You know, it's it's running in the neighborhood of 4,000 people every year that we're serving. And they're not the same people. They're different people every year. It's kind of an amazing thing to me. It, you know, it kind of takes me back because I didn't know that kind of thing when I, when I was growing up. Not that I lived in a great life, but but I didn't know that kind of thing. So... Well, I think too, Tom, we often think of numbers, you know, how many families served or how many beds, but think of if you saw all those children and if you saw 800 children and thought of all of them are going home and they get to be tucked in. Think about how do you tuck a child into bed when there's no bed? I imagine a whole, you know, grade school of children that get to go home to a bed. So I want to thank you for all you do and, and the people who've donated to you. So how much does it cost to donate an entire bed for a child? What's the cost? What's the price tag, so to speak, now? Uh, the bed that we buy uh, and the mattress, it's a bed and the mattress com- combination is, is $125 for a single. We also offer a bunk bed, which is 220 And we, we now have cribs also because children under the age of two have to be in a crib. So they were able to find us a crib and a crib mattress that we can provide also. So the cribs are $135. Well, and what's great about that is, you know, if a family wants to do this for Christmas or for a Mother's Day gift, instead of everybody buying mom something she doesn't need to, to choose to donate together and buy a bed for a child. I mean, you can do it any any kind of holiday, a birthday, instead of getting gifts for your birthday, have people donate for a bed or a crib. It's, it's a great way to help a, a family out. I have one donor and she was in last week. She comes every year and donates one bed for each of her grandchildren which is 15 beds. And she also brings in a set of sheets and blankets for each of the beds that we can give to the families. And again, it's just one of those people who I just, you know, I love to see because I know what she's a retired woman and she just loves this program also. And she helps us look that way by granting the, the gift of her grandchildren's beds to us beautiful. Well, I have five brothers and five sisters and I used to buy them all just something small for Christmas, just because, you know, it was like a tradition. And then I realized they're all adults and they don't need the $20 I'm spending on them for something that they might already own. So one year I sent them a letter and said, instead of giving you a gift, I'm going to buy beds for kids. And they were so overjoyed. And so that's what I do every year is instead of buying for my siblings who are all grown, I make a donation to beds for kids through the Cleveland Furniture Bank. So I I appreciate that you have created this and that you keep it going. And how has the pandemic affected what you do? I wondered that. 
But we had to shut down our whole operation for 52 days back in spring when the governor shut down the non-essential businesses. But in some respects, that was a blessing for us because we had to do some things differently, knowing coming out of that uh, pandemic or out of the shutdown, at least. And we weren't sure what we would do. So we had an opportunity to make some changes in our thrift store, which is important to us. But we also changed the way that we do our, our furniture for families, beds for kids program now. We no longer have the, the clients and the caseworkers come in here. We do virtual appointments with them using FaceTime or Google Duo uh, with, the, with the client. And it's a much more comfortable situation for the client because they're sitting somewhere where they're at home, so to speak, as opposed to coming in here to a situation that they're not real comfortable being in. It's relieved the caseworkers of having to be here with the clients. So that makes the agencies happy because it frees up the caseworkers to do more work. And actually, we can do more clients that way than we could by having them come in the, in the office. And so we will probably never go back to a face-to-face appointments. We continue to use the virtuals. And again, we're able now to serve more people in a, in a much more comfortable way for everyone. And so that was a blessing that came out of this pandemic that I, we would have never done otherwise. And I hate to say it, I'm glad it happened because uh, it's, it's really worked very well for everybody. It's pretty amazing, Tom, especially when you think of furniture. To You think you have to see it but or touch it or whatever, but to be able to serve more people, do it more effectively and efficiently. What a gift that you were able to, to shift with the shift instead of yeah. resist it. And we can still show them. We walk around our show area and we'll say, you know, we know, okay, I want a a couch. Okay. So here's two or three couches. Which one do you like? We can show them right through the phone and they'll pick it out. So they're still picking out their own furniture. And then we try to match a living room chair that, that goes with the couch. And then we show them a dresser and we show them a kitchen table and chairs. And, uh, and then basically they get to pick their own stuff, but they can do it from the comfort of wherever they feel comfortable. <laughs> I love that they can go shopping. They, they can do like an online shopping tour. Exactly. And what's nice too is they can do it from their, wherever they're living to know, well, they can look at the wall and go, well, that would look good over there. Okay, let me pick that. I mean, in some ways it makes yeah. it easier for them too. Yeah. And, and we, we're always careful to make sure that uh, the size will fit where they, they're going, particularly couches, because some people are living in very small apartments. And some of the furniture that we have is probably not suitable for the space that they have. So we can help walk them through that also. And and it's worked extremely well. We've gotten a lot of positive comments from, from the agencies and from the clients about this process and how it works for them. So tell us how to donate. Tell us how to be of help. Well, for the Beds for Kids program, uh, that's strictly a financial donation. That's money we need to buy these beds every year. You can donate uh, by sending a check to our organization at our, our address, or you can go online to our website, which is clevelandfurniturebank.org, and uh, hit the PayPal button and just send us money through PayPal, which is a very secure way to do it. For those living in the Cleveland area, if they have furniture that they uh, no longer need, it's still in good condition. We certainly would love to be able to put it to good use and give it to a family who needs it. And we will pick it up from uh, in, in six counties in Northeast Ohio. And again, they can either call us or go on our website again, clevelandfurniturebank.org and 
hit the donate furniture button and it will allow them to fill out a form and automatically send it to us so we can schedule a pickup. I also want to mention, you know, I'm 64 and a lot of my friends are losing their parents and their parents, many of them survived the Great Depression and their house is just full from basement to attic of furniture. This is a great way to donate and to really give your families, you know, wealth of your, your, your home that you grew up in and, and help somebody else have a home. So if you are wondering what to do with your mom's dining room table or couch or your dad's, you know, favorite end table, Cleveland Furniture Bank, it can really go to good use. So I hope that people consider that. So Tom, I, last question here. How do you not get burnout from the need? How do you not have like compassion fatigue and go, there's just so much need and I just can't serve everybody. What do you do to take care of yourself? I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I get up and come to work every day because I, I love what we're doing here. I, I don't get burned out because I don't think we can serve enough people. We, we do get into situations where we don't have enough of everything to give everybody, but we do the best we can. And again, for, for families that have nothing to be able to get as much as we can give them, I think is, is a step in the right direction. So I don't really get fatigued about this whole situation here. I, I'm so proud of the people that work here and the work that they're doing to help all these families to allow us to continue to provide for those in need is really what keeps me going. <laughs> Again, as I said earlier, uh, it's not the kind of money I was making in a for-profit company, but it's certainly a much greater satisfaction in terms of what I'm doing in my life. Well, you know, there's making a money and there's making a difference. And right. you're making a huge difference, Tom. I hope so. Sometimes I'm not sure, but I do. I certainly think we are every day. We're helping people get back on their feet some way. I always look at us as kind of the last piece of the puzzle. These folks have gone through whatever trauma they've gone through. Some other agency has helped them to get through that and get ready to reassume a normal life, whatever that means. And we're the people that give them the furniture to, to help make that last step to resume a family life in a, in a setting that makes the family feel together. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for joining us. And the best way to connect with you is through the website, clevelandfurniturebank.org. That's correct. All right. And I'll have a link to that on my website, reginabrett.com. My biggest takeaway today is though detours that life put you on led you to right where you're at. And you'll never know, Tom how many lives you've transformed by the path that took you where you didn't think you wanted to go, but wow, what a gift you've been to others. So I want to close with your answer to this question, Tom. What is the best thing you do for yourself every day to create a life you love out of the life you have? I, I would say I just get up and come to work. Uh, you know, I, I've been working for a long time, but, you know, again, it's that to me is what keeps me going, what makes my life what it is, is just to be able to get up, come in here, uh, work with a great group of people who are trying to, you know, do the best they can to help the folks that we're trying to help and help get them into a situation where they feel good about what they're doing also. And that's just uh, the way my life is, I guess. I uh, just, I love what I'm doing. (laughs) That's beautiful. You get up, you dress up, you show up, and you're changing lives. Tom, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you, Regina. I do appreciate all you've done for us as an organization, because you'll never know how many lives you've touched through us. Well, thanks so much. 
Thanks for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett. If you want to know more about today's guest and topic, head to my podcast page at reginabrett.com. There you can also subscribe to my email newsletter so you never miss an opportunity to be inspired. For more episodes, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review my show so we can reach and inspire even more people. Thanks for joining us today. Now go make something possible.